Good morning, City Light. How we doing? Good morning. Good morning. If you're new, I just want to make sure you know to fill out that Connect card on your seat. We would love to get to know you and to help you in your spiritual journey, wherever that may be. And so if you give that to us at the end of the service out in the lobby, we'll give you a gift in exchange uh, and and it'll uh, help you get connected. Um, uh, I want to go ahead and everybody got this on your seat. It's the season two prayer journal. I mentioned this last week if you weren't here. Uh, But this starts our seven-day prayer fast that will culminate in Immerse this Saturday. And so uh, just as a reminder, this Saturday is Immerse. It's our nine-to-nine all-day prayer and fasting event that we do three times a year. Uh, Yes, woo to that. Yay. Praise the Lord. Somebody excited to pray. All right. Um, And so you can join us at any point during the day. It's very flowy. There's not like a start and end other than nine and nine. And so uh, if you can come join us at any point at six o'clock, we will gather to eat. And then at seven to nine, we will close our night uh, with just uh, going after the Lord really hard together in prayer and worship. So uh, if you can join us at any point during the day, and this is to help you lead up to that. And so it's a season two prayer journal. It has a lot to do with the things we've been talking about anyways. Uh, And so we're asking you to take these seven days from Sunday till Saturday uh, to choose to fast from something. As always, there's lists in here. It's not just food. There's lots of options for that. Uh, and for you to dedicate some real serious, focused attention for seven days, and then come join us for Immerse on Saturday. Uh, Once again, like we do during the 21 days, uh, these are reminders to help propel us into rhythms, you know? So we would like to continue to grow in prayer. And so sometimes we get distracted, sometimes we lose focus. Uh, And these types of events help us get renewed in that. And so uh, I cannot emphasize this enough that we really believe, this is not preacher talk, uh, that God will do things in response to prayer and that we will not make a difference because we're good at anything. We're going to make a difference because the Lord appoints that, you know, like the Lord wants to do something and the Lord loves to answer prayers. And we need God's help. I mean, we just simply cannot. Remember, we're not the Red Cross. We're not here just to do nice things for people, which is great. Uh, But we need some supernatural deliverance, and we need supernatural salvation and healing and all these things. And so uh, I just want to reemphasize the importance of that for us to really see God do what he wants to do. And so you don't come just because, you know, prayer is what Christians do, but uh, you come because you love Jesus, you want to spend time with him, and you come because you really believe uh, that if we pray, God will move. And so please join us this week, dedicate something to the Lord uh, within your friend group or family, whoever you live with, consider taking some time together to work through this, Uh, but this is to help you with that. Uh, And so today we are continuing in our more and more series As we've been saying, you know, from the beginning, God's doing a lot, you know, through City Light and and through what we're doing here, and we're just thankful to be a part of it, and really grateful for everything God is doing. In light of that, we have to be very intentional to continue in the work he's doing and to guard the good things that he is doing. And so I want to remind you from the beginning, something we've discussed at the beginning of this series, is that the way forward is doing the same things over and over and over again. Remember? This is how you build something, is you don't do new things. You do the same thing 
over and over again. And to do more and more is not to do more things, but to do the right things over and over and over and over again. This is what we are committing to. Uh, More and more means more prayer, more evangelism, more gathering together to bless one another, more serving our community. It means just continuing to press into the same things over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And as we, as a church, mature into the things God is calling us into, uh, we all grow into the reality that this is a long game, not game. This is, a, you know, you play the long game to say, like, we really want to see God do something 20, 30, 50, 60, 100 years. When we're all gone, we want to see God continuing to do that. And so as we press in, we want to see God do radical things in this moment, which we believe he will and can do. We also want to be consistent and continue to press in and have endurance and patience and faithfulness to see God bless something over years and years to come. Uh, And so this is why Paul is writing to the Thessalonians so that he can continue to build their faith and remind them of the way forward as a ministry and as a church. And so in the middle of this concept we've been preaching through, we've stopped in chapter 4 to discuss the will of God uh, because it seems so evident and clear and it requires lots of different categories so that we can continue to discuss God's will for us in holiness, God's will for us in terms of sex, and then today is God's will for us in relationships. So last week, more romantic relationships, and this week is just relationships in general, particularly relationships within the church, but also relationships with those outside of the church, just in your life. And so we're going to help you in your relationships this morning to know what God's will is. So if you want to go ahead and open your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. Let's go. All right. Very good. Very good. Let's read just two verses today. Verses 9 and 10 says, Now concerning brotherly love... You have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this. Say it with me, more and more, more and more, more and more. So he's talking about brotherly love for one another. He's talking about our relationships to one another. And the major word that the entire Bible uses to define our relationships to one another is love. Love is the the major note. Love is the primary word. Love is the essential. Love for one another and growing in one another is the thing God is asking for. God's will, very simply put, is that our relationships would be marked by love. And you say, well, that's very simple, obviously, but we're going to see more and more today how this plays out in our lives, how essential this is, how we get away from that, uh, and what does it look like to pursue these kinds of things. What I find very interesting about this passage, first and foremost, is Paul says that we ought to love one another. He says, you should love one another. You're like, cool, got it. And then he affirms, you are loving one another. Like, yeah, good for us, you know. And then the next statement is, so keep doing that more and more. So this is his logic. Say, you're doing something really well. You're loving each other. You should love one another. This is what God says. And you're doing that. Yeah. And then they're like, okay, what's next? And he's like, nothing. I want you to keep loving one another really well. That's it, you know? What's the new idea? What's the next strategy? We figured this out. What's the next thing? We're No, 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 no. And Paul says, you're doing that great. And they're like, great. And he's like, just keep doing that, all right? Just keep doing that. And this is an important principle for us in life. Here's something for, I want you to write down is that 
What is created must be cultivated, and what is planted must be watered. Uh, Something that I think we're prone to do is to give attention and care primarily to needs and problems, as opposed to giving attention and care to the very things that are going well in the first place. And what can happen as a human, in default, any of you who've done business or anything, you know, you're leading teams, whatever, you tend to focus on the things that need to get fixed, you know? This is, this is all times a leader like me, I'm always thinking about, okay, what, what can we fix? What needs to get fixed? And there's always older, more wiser people in my life saying, you can't always think about what needs to get fixed. You need to be blessed by what's going well, and you need to put your attention on that. So what is going well often is the very thing that needs attention and care. What is created, as we know, must be cultivated. What is planted must be watered. And here's the result. Here's the concern for me. If, that, if what is created is not cultivated, then it will be frustrated. But if what is planted is not watered, it will wither. So If we have to cultivate that which is created, we have to water that which is planted. If we do not practice cultivating that which we are creating, then it will be frustrating. It will end up not doing the thing that we want. If we do not water the very thing that's been planted, then it will wither. The danger of things going well is that the people a part of it assume it will always go that way without any intentional effort or growth or progression, you know? This is what's true for many of us on teams or different things like that. But we must water the things that we plant. This is obviously a thing we know. This is something that struggles in my home. The reason why our little home garden doesn't ever work out is because we don't take care of it. You know, my mom will come over and she'll, she'll plant things and create these little, you know, vases with little dirt in it and she'll put it in the front porch and, you know, it's got carrots or something cool in it or whatever and tomatoes, uh, cucumbers, you know, and, and uh, this is the idea. It's not so we can eat it. It's more so my kids can, like, learn to do things and have fun with that. Um, but, you know, what happens, what ends up happening is, uh, you know, they're doing, they're experimenting. Somehow it gets tipped over. All the soil is on the ground and everything's, uh, you know, or nobody remembers to water it for, like, two months because nobody's paying attention to that at all, you know. Uh, when there's six kids in the house, you don't worry about plants, okay? Plants are not a concern. Cucumbers, I don't care. Uh, just making sure these children survive. And so uh, this is the reason why, though, the, the, the things that we plant in my house sometimes do not grow And what I want us to understand is that God has planted and blessed us with unity and love. This is a real gift. And if any of you have been around here long enough, I think you've experienced that. Uh, I talk to a lot of pastors in a lot of situations, and a lot of things come up about divisions and frustrations. This seems to be normal. I read a lot of articles about how difficult church members can be. And by God's grace, it just simply hasn't been the case so far. And I think a lot of it is by his grace, he has taught us really to love one another. And I don't want us to take that for granted, that there is unity around the mission, that we don't fight about petty things, uh, that we really do genuinely love one another and that you guys are growing and we are growing together in this. And that is a precious gift from God. I mean, such a precious gift that we could be a part of something like that together. Uh, and we're very grateful for that. Now, the danger is if we don't, if that is created, is not cultivated, it will be frustrated. If we don't water what has been planted, it will wither. Therefore, the next thing is not a new thing, but it's a continual thing of the same thing. We must continue to do the same thing over and over and over again. 
So here's a phrase for us I think will be important for your life, but also for this kind of principle of life for the church, is don't settle, be intentional. Don't settle, be intentional. Now this is true in your family, this is true at work, this is true in so many things. The human default is to settle, especially when things are good. And what God is calling us to is a greater level of intentionality. Don't settle, be intentional. What does it look like to be intentional to show love to one another and the world around us? Have you put a great deal of effort and thought into how to show more love to your family than you're currently showing? Have you put much effort and thought as to how to show more love to your neighborhood than you're currently showing? Have you put intentional effort and thought as to show more love to those in your lighthouse than you're currently showing? And once again, it's not to say that you're not showing it, it's to say that you are, but the Bible's call is then to do that more and more. And to do that more and more is going to require thought and effort. It's going to require us to be intentional. And so as we move forward as a church, the call on each one of us is to not settle, but be intentional. And one of the practical applications of this message should be you and I literally taking time to consider and to write down ways in which we could grow and increase in our feelings of love for one another and our actions to show love to one another. I want you to put some effort and some intentionality into thinking about that within your family, within your friends, within your neighborhood, within our city, within your lighthouse, whatever it might be. Don't settle, be intentional. Now, if we're gonna do things more and more, I kept considering, okay, what, what characteristics are necessary to do something more and more? Okay, the call is to love more and more, but what goes under that? Like, what, what are the characteristics that uphold something happening over and over and over again? If you took some time to think about it, I think you'd come up with many of the same things. If we're going to do something over and over again, we obviously need endurance. We need endurance. We're going to need patience. Uh, we're going to need to be marked by faithfulness, consistency, some stability. You know, you can't be erratic and do things over and over again. The, the way things happen over and over again that are healthy is they have some stability. They're not super high or super low. Uh, we need to stay motivated and inspired. Uh, we're not going to just wake up every day feeling like doing these things. We need to constantly find ways to be motivated and inspired. Uh, we cannot underestimate the small things. Uh, so many of us live for big moments in life. This is one of my, I think, strengths and faults is I, I live for these kind of things, the big moments, uh, the splashes, the exciting things. And what we learn oftentimes in our growth is we dare not underestimate the small things. And what does it look like to show love in just normal, small, unseen, consistent types of ways, but to do that over and over and over and over and over again? Uh, we need both contentment that has a healthy desire for change. <laughs> you need to be content, you know, with what you have and the situation in life God has allotted to you, while also having a healthy desire for growth and change. You cannot be overly desiring to change and be unappreciative of the things that you have. And you also need to find contentment with the things God has given you. Uh, we need self-control. We need self-control so that we can move forward uh, and continue the same things over and over again. Now, as I list these things out, you know what I was thinking? What are all these attributes called? They're called the fruits of the Spirit. I, just, I was writing them out, just thinking in my head, and then I was like, okay, faithfulness, patience, love, self-control. 
And I thought, these are the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. And as I was meditating on this principle, I came to this conclusion, is that we must live by the Spirit if we want to live in love. This is so essential, and this is why we talk about being led by the Spirit as a core value, and this is why we try to cultivate theological understanding of what the Holy Spirit does, and what does it look like to live by the Spirit, because if we try to live in love without being empowered by the Spirit, we won't have the fruits of Spirit that are necessary to act out in love every day. You need supernatural patience so that you can live in love. You need supernatural self-control so that you don't burst out in anger. You need these kinds of things from the Lord. It's the fruits of the Spirit that uphold a life of love. And if you're trying to live in love by your feelings or by a motivation pep talk or any of that, you're not going to do it. And if you're trying to build a life of consistent love over years, we must live by the Spirit if we want to live in love. The reason for this is ultimately it's not your love you're giving away but God's. If you give away your love, you haven't given people very much. But if you give away God's love, you've given them the very best thing anyone could ever have. And if you walk by the Spirit, you'll be upheld by the fruits of the Spirit, your life will, and it'll be marked by God's love. So that when you're now living your life and exemplifying patience, it comes across as the patience of God. When you're filled with joy, it's the very joy God gives. When you act in love, you're releasing the love of God on one another's life. Uh, and so this is very important for us to consider. So in light of all of these things and how important it is for us to do this more and more, I want to take a moment to argue for something completely obvious, that love is important. Write this down. It's love that makes the difference. A Christian life is marked and motivated by love. Love is the difference maker. Love is the essential mark of being a Christian. And some would say, and maybe if I asked you, what is the mark of your Christianity? And you would say, it's what I believe. Jesus died, rose again. I trust in him, I'll be saved, which is obviously essential. But the Bible does this all the time. We'll say, if you believe this but don't live in love, you don't believe it. And the reality is that your beliefs are only beliefs if they manifest in love. You don't believe Jesus died and rose again if you don't live in love for one another. This is the point the Bible, the whole book of 1 John is essentially about this. To say you have to live in love. It is not an option and it is not an extra. If you don't walk in love, you do not believe Jesus. So a Christian life is marked by belief that leads to love. And therefore, the distinguishing marker of a Christian is love. And my goodness, is that the testimony that the world has of what it means to be a Christian right now? Certainly not in media, and a lot of that certainly isn't uh, everybody's fault. There's some extremists out there. But to say that we as a church, at the very least, are going to do everything we can do to be marked by love. This is what I talked about last week, right? Conviction and compassion. We believe what we believe according to the word of God, and we will never run away from that, but we will live with compassion and love. Our beliefs will not be marked by belligerence or anger. None of that. No, 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 no. And so we need to be marked by love. And it's something for you to evaluate. Maybe you've evaluated your Christianity by what you believe and not how you live. 
And the Lord wants you to say, well, I'm glad that you believe that, but you don't believe it unless you live it. And obviously, we have our faults. Obviously, we have struggles. Obviously, we have seasons of life where we're not living as we should. It's not to say every time you sin, you're not a Christian anymore. It is to say that over time, your life, if it's marked by belief, should be marked by growth and love. This is simply what the Bible presents to us. And so let me show you four reasons why love is so important. Okay, I'm going to state the obvious for us this morning. The first is this. We are changed by love. It's love that changes you. Right? Just sit and think about it. It's the love of God that has changed your life. Not the wrath of God. Not the judgment. It's the love of God that has radically transformed and changed your life. Romans 5, 8 says this. God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. It is the love that God has given you that has made you a person who can love others. It is the love that God has given you that demonstrates the gospel to you that Christ died for you in the midst of your sins. You have been changed by love. Love has changed your life. A pure love from God. Let me, let me use this verse real quick in 1 Thessalonians 4. He says in verse nine, for you have been taught by God to love one another. Let me give you a quick theology lesson on this because this is so important. When the Bible says that you are taught by God, it is the type of teaching that brings about change as a guarantee. So it's not like when my kids are saying, oh, you've been taught by your dad, you know? That, sometimes that doesn't change nothing, you know? And sometimes I teach them everything I can. They're just wilding out, okay? This doesn't guarantee change. But let me give you some examples of what it looks like to be taught by God in the Bible. In John 6, 45, Jesus refers to this, and he says, They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Meaning that when someone is taught the gospel by God, they are guaranteed to come to Jesus. It is not up for grabs to say, well, maybe they will, maybe they won't. What does he say here? They are taught by God, therefore they come to me. He's quoting Isaiah 54, 13, or referring to it. It says this, all your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. Meaning, when they are taught by God, they receive and live in peace. It is the teaching of God that brings about the change that God desires. To be taught by God here is to be overwhelmed by God. It is a teaching that guarantees change. To be taught by God the gospel is to lead unto salvation. To be taught by God to have peace is to experience peace that passes understanding. To be taught by God to love is to live in the love that God supplies. To be taught by God is to guarantee change from God. Let me tell you something about God. He always gets what he wants. And to be taught by God is to be changed by God. This is theology 101 for what does it mean for God to impart his love to people. Now, what does this mean for us? This means for us that we cannot emulate our desires for love by being taught from the world. 
You know, the biggest problem the world has is it wants love, but it doesn't teach the God's love. The world isn't taught by God to love. And so now we want love and peace, but we don't have the ability to bring that about. Professors teaching love don't bring about love. Even parents teaching love don't bring about love. God has to teach it for it to create change in the world. It all comes from God, which makes us dependent on him, which is why we pray. I can get up here and preach my living heart out, and it won't make a difference if the Lord doesn't do something with it. You're not taught by Nate. If you ever receive anything good in this moment, it's because you've been taught by God. Which is why we open the Bible, which is why I don't preach my ideas. Those are useless to you. You should care less what I think. I'm so unimportant. But if I come up here and tell you something that God says, then you should care very much about that. And so we need to learn what does it mean to be taught by God, which is why, look, 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 please, please, please. If you want your habits and your life to change, you need to be taught by God in those places. And if you're not in the word, you are not being taught by God. The word is where God teaches us. So over here, you want habit change. But your means to get habit change are other means of instruction other than being taught by God. So you've negated the power of the change. You know what I'm saying? You think about it for a second. The love of God that came to you. You didn't wake up one day and think, okay, what? Today, the love of God's gonna overwhelm my life. No, the love of God came to you through the gospel, whether it was in one moment or over time through your parents or whatever it might be, and it transformed and it radically altered your life. And you were almost, in one sense, very passive in that. And you didn't wake up and say, well, I'm gonna love others well, and I'm gonna receive the love of God today. No, the gospel came, God empowered it, you were taught by God to believe, and then you believed. And then you lived a life of love, and God radically altered your life, and now you sit where you sit today, and you're like, how did I get here? This is what it means for us to change. And if we want to see change in our lives, we have to be taught by God. And if we're not in God's word, we are not receiving God's instruction. And if God doesn't teach us, no one else can change us. Please, this is so important. This is another reason why reading the word is so important because you won't get where you want to be in terms of who you're called to be if you don't let God teach you what he's supposed to teach you. This is why a man shall not live by sermons alone. You need to be taught by God. The theology of being taught by God is that when God teaches, people change. This is true throughout the scriptures. And if we want to change, and if we want to grow in love, and this is the testimony to the world, I want you to see this, is that why is it that the world cannot accomplish creating love in the world around us? Is because it doesn't have the power to do that. The world's instruction doesn't guarantee change, but God's does. That's why it should be so different to be in a church and to say, there's actually a guarantee in this place of progress. Can you imagine that? There's actually a guarantee, if we just align ourselves with the word of God, that there will be growth. There's a guarantee that we will mature. There's a guarantee that this should be a place of love. That's the kind of picture the Bible presents. And so as much as we can say, man, it's really tough in the world out there, you should be able to come into this church and just be radically overwhelmed by a different experience of love. That should just be true. And so for us to maintain love for one another provides a witness to the world. 
This is why this is so important. Okay, we are changed by love. The second thing is we are commanded to love. Matthew 22, 37 through 39 says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. John 13, 34 through 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Basic Christianity, but the most profound thing we could consider, the mark of a Christian is love, and the witness we give to the world will be highly determined by the love we have for each other. Which is why lighthouses and the structures we have in place are so important for you to be positioned in an environment where you can receive and give love to one another. How can we grow in love as a church if we're not within the places where we interact with each other on a consistent basis? And if we can't grow in love, how can we grow in witness? If our witness is determined by our love and we're not intentionally positioning ourselves to grow in love, then we will be negating our witness. You see what he's saying? A church that loves one another is an incredible testimony to the gospel. He says, by this you will know. And you know this because the world is just, Toxic and people are mean to one another and you get on Twitter and everything's dying. Everything's just awful everywhere you go. I mean, just fighting. And, it, and for someone to come to a place and say, wow, these people really love each other. Some of them are Republicans and some of them are Democrats. They love each other. Some of them are from different places and different things. Some of them hardly even speak the same language. Some of them grew up in all these different cultures, yet they're coming together in one place. What are they united by? Not preferences, not habits, not the food that we eat, but love. This is a testimony to the world. This is therefore we ought to grow in love. We are commanded to love, which just reminds you and me that love is not an option, and growing in love isn't a nice addition to my Christianity, but it is the very thing I am commanded to do. If I should do anything as a Christian, it's love God and love my neighbor. And my entire Christianity boils down to whether I'm doing those two things. So forget all the other things. Don't care if you went to seminary or you did these classes or you're doing all these different things that make you feel like a great Christian. To say, are you loving God and are you loving your neighbor? That's it. It's very simple. And it's not, it's not do you feel love, which is definitely important to grow in, but are you acting in love? Your feelings are terrible leaders, and you should not associate much with them. But if you can look at your life and say, here are examples of how I pursue love to God. I open my Bible when I do not feel like it. That is an act of love. I, I, I meet my neighbor and talk to them when I'd rather just walk in my house. This is an act of love. Are you loving God, and are you loving your neighbor? This is a command. It is the essential thing God is calling you to do. And if we're not doing that, then we're not acting like Christians. The third thing, we are controlled by love. 2 Corinthians 5.14, for the love of Christ controls us. Control, uh, love is the, the driver's seat. We are simply passengers in the car. If love is not driving the car, then we are going in the wrong place. Love controls us. And you should just consider for a second, 
Corinthians 5.14 says, for the love of Christ controls us. And that is in the context of evangelism. And what he's basically saying is, I am so, like, I sometimes, Paul's like, I am just controlled by God's love. So I have to share these things with you, even though my flesh would keep me from doing that. It's the same for us to say, man, am I controlled by feeling awkward or am I controlled by love? Am I controlled by jealousy or am I controlled by love? Am I controlled by success and ambition or am I controlled by love? Am I controlled by self-centeredness or self-sacrificial? Am I controlled by love? Does love control the decision-making of my life? And for all of us, there's a ton of room to grow in that, but that's what God is calling us to. So we're changed by love. We are commanded to love. We are controlled by love. Finally, we are called for love. This is what God has called us unto. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand mysteries and knowledge and have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned and have not love, I gain nothing. If I serve my community consistently through all these events my church does, but have not love, I have done nothing. If I give all my money away to support the causes of the church but have not love, I have nothing. If I consistently show up at all the things I'm supposed to show up to but do not love, I am showing up to nothing. This is a very serious thing to say God has called us to love. That we ought to grow in love and that we ought to act in love. And this one here, he's saying, I'm doing all these things. This one does go after the heart and your feelings to say, do you really love the people in which you are serving? Do you really love the cause of God and the gospel while you're doing these things? 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but get this, but the greatest is love. I mean, now he's really getting there to say, well, faith and hope are, <laughs> those are important things. Faith is very important. You know, uh, hope is, how do you live without hope? You'd be depressed. So he's saying, I'm going to take these three words and I'm going to even go up a notch to say love is more important than these things. Love is more important. It is the greatest attribute, the greatest characteristic. So love is important. We are changed by love, commanded to love, controlled by love, and called for love. Now, in light of all of these things, what does this text say about living in love? So that's the foundation upon which the motivation is built to act in love. And now 1 Thessalonians give us some context for living in love. So because now you say, here's the motivation, here's the, the foundation upon which I build a life of love. I have a reason to love. But now how do I do that? Because like I said, your feelings are important and you're, you should grow in your heart affection and love. That is very important. But once again, feelings are bad leaders. And so I'm led by faith. I act to do things that I don't feel like doing as a means by which I can spiritually grow. And so now the call is to go live a life of love. And I'm just gonna give you three quick characteristics as we close about what a life of love looks like. The first is this, relationships led by love will be lived in purity. So this is just a touch point off of last week because I don't want to completely separate these two sections because the whole talk about sex, romantic relationships, and holiness in that area feeds into this talk about brotherly love, meaning that purity with one another is an essential way we love each other. 
purity in your thoughts towards one another, purity in your actions towards one another. These are essential ways we love one another. If our relationships are led by love, we will choose to live in purity. We will choose to take captive thoughts that are evil and dismiss them. We will choose to show love and purity in our relationships with our spouses, boyfriends, girlfriends. We will choose to walk in purity with one another. A very important way that you love each other is to help one another be holy. You say, how can I show love? Well, you show love by assisting people to grow in holiness that they may grow in purity. And you simply cannot do this without being with one another, which I give another shout out to Lighthouses for this, to say this is essential for you to be gathered around other Christian believers so that you can grow in holiness. But if I'm going to be led by love, I will live in purity. And I will at the very least progress and mature and grow in this aspect of my life. The second one is relationships led by love will be lived in unity lived in unity. He says here that we are loving, that they are loving them well, and he says you've loved all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Now, a little geography lesson is Macedonia is a huge region. It's like, sort of like saying the DMV, you know? So uh, it's like if you're meeting at false church, you love the whole DMV, you know? It's a little bit like that. Uh, and the idea here simply is that if we're going to be led by love, we will live in unity, and our unity with brothers and sisters should constantly be expanding, meaning that you care very much about how our brothers and sisters in the ministries we partner with in Mexico are doing, meaning that you care very much about the ministry that we partner with in Africa, meaning that you care very much about what's going on in D.C. and Cedar Lose, meaning that our love constantly is expansive. So remember 1 Thessalonians? one, your faith has gone forth everywhere. That's the idea here is that if we're going to be led by love, then we will progress and grow in our concern for Christians throughout the world and our desire to give money and to interact and to support the work of God in places throughout the DMV and throughout the world. A love that is healthy is a love that expands. And so that's a good question for you is, is my love shriveling up and is it narrowing to less and less people or is my love expanding to include more and more people? You should consider that in your life. And basically, is there evidence for that? A relationship led by love, though, will be lived in unity and the unity will expand to people outside of my spheres of influence. The third one here, finally, is relationships led by love will be lived consistently he says, as we've talked about, I want you to do these things more and more. And the simple reality here is that you can choose to love people more than you do right now. It's just a choice to say, I am going to go, I'm going to position myself in God's word. He will teach me, the teaching will change me, and then I'm going to choose to do acts of love. And that I can grow in my love for others right now. I can choose to not settle and be intentional. I can consider what is one more thing I can do to love the brothers and sisters at City Light. What's one more thing I can do to show love to my neighbors? What's one more thing I can do to bless and love my family and friend circle? How can I do this more and more? To act in love is an intentional choice that will be empowered by the Holy Spirit for us to live it out. So let us do these things more and more. Don't settle, 
be intentional. Relationships led by love will be lived in purity, unity, and will be lived consistently. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. I pray, most importantly, that you would teach us to love. That we would not be discipled by the world, taught by the world how to love, but that we would be taught by you so that you could change and transform us from the inside out. Make us a people of love. Thank you that you have loved us. Thank you for the good news of your love for us that changes our lives. I pray that many in the room or watching online would receive your love for the first time today through faith in Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would help us grow in love and that that would mark our life as a church. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Why don't you stand? Let's respond to the Lord.